You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Well, good morning, First Baptist Jinx family, and welcome to 2024. Happy New Year. Uh, So glad to be here, and I'm excited to see what God has prepared for us as a church prepared for you all in the year 2024. That's the word that's been on my mind as I've been studying the book of Luke for us, is that word prepared. And we know from our study in Ephesians uh, a while back that God has good works prepared that we should walk in them. And so knowing God has all this prepared, the question is, are you prepared for what God has prepared? Are you preparing yourself to walk in what it is that God has for you? And our text today, Luke chapter three, shows us that preparing begins with repenting. The very first act of preparation to step into what God has for you is gonna start with repentance. Turn your Bibles to Luke 3. We're gonna pick up where we left off, continuing through this book. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. This is our setting for today. Uh, This moment in history gives us this idea of roughly A.D. 29 when this happened. So Jesus was a boy. We fast-forwarded from there. Hi, Nate. Good to see you. Um, So, uh, Sorry, I just saw. Uh, Fast-forward from there, and we are now in this moment in history. Luke is reminding us all this really happened not once upon a time. This moment took place. God's word breaks through in this divided power struggle, all these people that are just hungry for power and fighting for power, not just politically, but religiously. There's only one high priest, but yet it lists two. Apparently one of them wasn't interested in giving up his influence and his power. And so it was all over, wherever you looked, there was power hungry men. And in the middle of that, God did exactly what he planned to do. And so if you ever get anxious that in today's culture with all the power hungry people, Can God do anything? Simple answer, yes. He can and he does. God's word breaks through and he breaks through to John. Do you guys remember John? We met him a while back, Luke 1. And so John was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth and he's listed here. He was gonna be the one to prepare the way for the Lord and now it's happening. So now he's a man and he's stepping into his ministry and his call is just like that of the Old Testament prophets. When you read through the Old Testament prophets, you get their name, you get the name of their father, you get the location they have, often the wilderness, and it all starts with the word of the Lord. It's not about John, it's about God's word breaking through to mankind. So John is the final prophet before Jesus, like the, the very book end of the Old Testament. He's the person who fits most of the Old Testament and the New, connecting them all. What's the ministry that John is going to step into? Verse 3. He, John, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the ministry 
of repentance. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, that's the ministry he's assigned. He goes about proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's three things happening there. Baptism, that's what John does. Forgiveness of sins, that's what God does. Repentance, that's what the hearers do. So his ministry is about calling people to repent. Now, it's a super churchy word. It is a biblical word, and so it's worth understanding. When you hear the word repent, the word means to change. Maybe you've heard it as to turn. The, it, the really Greek word starts with that meta, which is where we get metamorphosis. It's this idea of transforming, changing identity, changing nature, changing direction, changing attention, changing life. So when you see the word repent, the idea is that, that you're changing. It is reorienting to God. Repentance is reorienting yourself to God. So a good way to think through this is that God, in the course of all human history, is the only fixed point that is eternally unmoving. He alone. Everything else moves in life and in the world except for God. He's always been who he is and always will be who he is. And God says, when he invites us to repent, I want you to reorient your life to me. Now, we understand this idea of reorienting our life to a fixed point because most of us have done it. I asked our staff about this the other day, and they threw out all kinds of ideas. It's a compass, right, that is always pointing north. And so if you're uh, looking around, you, you reorient yourself to that compass to know if you're going the right direction. Or if you're familiar with farming, if you're going to plow, you get a fixed point at the end, and you head straight to that. You don't just look down and try to make a straight line. You go straight to that fixed point to know that it's going to be straight. If you're cutting wood, it is, again, you're following a direct line. If you're sailing, it's going to be the North Star. If you are flying, you go waypoint to, you don't go A to B. You go point to point to point. All of these points you have to reorient to to make sure that you don't get lost. If you're Carson Wagner, you go to Coney Islander. That's where, that's where he reorients. I, you know, I'd ask, and he was like, that, that's reorienting for me. That's where I go. Dana, our preschool director, had shared um, something that she'd read recently where it says that you are to gaze at God and glance at life. She said, that's what reorienting for me looks like. It's not that I'm gazing at my life and I just glance at God. It's that I have reoriented my life entirely to him. I glance at my life here and there, but he is the direction my life moves towards. When God says repent, he's just simply saying, reorient your life, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your, everything about you to him. So how is it that John communicates this invitation to reorient? Well, oh, and before I get there, I almost missed the Isaiah part. It's so good. Okay, how does John preaching repentance, fulfill this prophecy from Isaiah. Luke seems to think that John's call, hey, people, you need to repent. You need to turn, change, turn to God, somehow fulfills this topographical miracle. The valleys are raised up, mountains are brought low, crooked places are made straight, and the rough places are made smooth. Why? Look at the last verse out of Isaiah that says there, that all people, all flesh will see the salvation of God. The call to repent, to change your life into line with what God says, to turn your life to God, is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you are Herod the Tetrarch or if you are a tax collector, the lowest there is. It doesn't matter if you are at a moral high point. I'm so good, I don't need saving, or a moral low point. I've done so much, nothing could save me. The invitation to repent is for everybody. Social status doesn't matter. You have to repent. 
Moral level doesn't matter. You have to repent. Everybody needs saved. This message is for everyone. That's how it accomplishes this. When he says, turn to God, this is the only thing everybody has to do. And there's no excuse for it. If your path has been crooked before now, hey, the call to repent says, straighten it out. If, if your life's been rough, you've had some things you've seen done in your family, or things that happened to you, or things that happened in your past, or things that happened at another church, the way Christians or other experiences, they distorted your view of God. I'm sorry those things happened, but we are without excuse. We all have to respond to who God is, not our experiences, to who God is. He's the unmovable, true thing, and we have to reorient our lives to him, all of us. So how does John communicate this call? He says to the crowds that came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers. It's my favorite sermon opening. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is how John gives his invitation to repentance. He starts with you brood of vipers. Can you imagine being like, we're going to go to that First Baptist Jinx. We're going to go see how warm and welcoming they are. See if it's good enough, you know, and you walk in and we're like, oh, welcome to church, you family of snakes. <laughs> right? You're like, whoa, I don't want to be here. Right? Like it's... And this is what he does. They came to be baptized. So they left where they were. They've heard the message. God is coming. Repent. They're here. They're there to be baptized. And that's how he starts. And for them, children of snakes would have been associated likely to Genesis chapter 3. There will be enmity between Eve's offspring and the offspring of the snake. It's like when Jesus looks at some of the religious leaders and calls them sons of the devil. They say, you children of being deceived. You go, why would he open like that? That's not very nice. Well, the next two things he says explain it. He says, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer is clearly God. These are people that were children of Abraham. That's how they viewed themselves. They knew the law. They knew who they were. But something inside of them said, I'm not right with God. Something stirred in them that said, I, I really don't think God and I are right. And so they show up to say, I want to make sure that I'm right with God. And he goes, who told you that? Wasn't it God? And it was God, because God had been telling them all along. The Old Testament doesn't have a word for repentance. There's about eight different Hebrew words that are used. There's one that's primarily used for turning to, one for turning from. But the idea of reorienting your life to God is the basis of every covenant God gave. God said, I am here, I've revealed myself to you, and if you listen to me and you reorient your life to me, you experience me. You experience favor and blessing and presence but if you reorient your life to the things of the world and to the culture and to other places that I'm only meant to fill, if you do that, you'll experience curses from me increasingly so until you realize we keep getting this because we left God and, and it will turn you back. And what God promises in every covenant is when you turn to God, he turns to you. 
If you repent, God relents. That is true to his nature and he holds himself to it. Doesn't matter how far you have wondered, doesn't matter how fake you have been, doesn't matter how much convincing yourself you've tried to do. If you turn to God, he receives you right then. You're his. And so that's the, that's the invitation that's being laid out in front of them. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because repentance has always been the plan. And so repentance is still the plan. If you want to know God's plan, it is that we would repent, reorient our lives to him. And he says that can't be faked. Repentance cannot be faked. They were there. He tells them, don't even act, don't bring up that you're children of Abraham. All right? It's like, don't do that. Don't, don't show up just to get baptized because that's really why he calls them children of snakes. He, he, John thought some of them were there to be religious, but not for the relationship with God. They were doing a religious act, but they'd not done the repenting act. And John says, I'm going to have none of it. I'm not going to let you walk up and think you can just go underwater and somehow that's going to prepare you for God. No, God has always told you, you have to repent to be ready for him. So have a life of repenting, a life of reorienting to God. And you might say, Cody, we were here last week. You told us to be religious. You said to have religious homes. Yes. We have religious homes. Why? Because those are the activities that help us reorient our lives to God over and over and over and enjoy him. But religious lives, void of repenting lives, well, that's a house of snakes. It's dangerous. It's poisonous. And it's deceptive. At best, you're trying to deceive other people to think that you're right with God. At worst, you deceive yourself. If there is no repentance in your life, you are missing the invitation of God to him. So repent. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. And it can't be faked. It also can't be replaced. He tells them, hey, don't think of yourselves as children of Abraham. Why does he say that? Because that was them trying to be self-assured. Oh, I'm here, but I'm good. Trust me, I'm good. I, I don't need that. If any part of you today, as you listen to God's word, thinks, man, I'm not right with God, do not try to find a way around that to feel good about it. That's what that's what John is saying. Don't try to self-assure yourself, oh, I'm probably good enough, or I've done enough church, or I've taught enough things, or I got baptized that one time, or I, got, I said a prayer that one time. If you recognize in your life you are not a new creation, then, then believe that. Don't believe something else that isn't true because you have to be a new creation. That's why John looks at a pile of rocks. He goes, oh, you, you think you would be good because you're a child of Abraham. God can turn these rocks into children of Abraham. By the way, he did. He turned our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We are the rocks that cry out and praise God. We are the ones that were taken from dead, lifeless beings that God spoke life into and gave us life to praise him and belong to him. If you are living and know who God is, it's because he did a miracle in you. That's us. And John's like, that's what you need. You need to be transformed. You don't need to convince yourself you're okay because it can't be replaced. And not only that, it also can't wait. He says the ax is at the foot of the trees already. Repentance can't wait. John was there saying, God is coming now. You do not know. I was talking with my friend Steve about this before service. He lost four friends in the last two weeks. 
He said, you do not know when God is going to require your life of you. It just can't wait. This is not being right with God. You just don't want to live in that, and you certainly don't want to step into eternity in that. It can't wait. So he says, repent now. How do they respond to this invitation to repentance? The crowds ask him in verse 10, what then shall we do? What then shall we do? He answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him. And they said, what shall we do? He said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? He said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, but be content with your wages. Hard truths soften people. John was not scared to preach what was absolutely true because sometimes we need hard truths to soften our hearts. So John just brought it like it was, and they responded. Notice their response, what do we do? If you're telling me to live a life that is reoriented and repentant to God, and I don't put my hope in anything else but that, tell me what it looks like. That means the way John presented was actually invitational, not confrontational. Christian, our message is always invitational and not confrontational. He called them a brood of vipers, and yet their response was, I want in. Invite them to God. So he gives them marks of what it means to have a repentant life. They say, what does it look like? He says, well, first of all, it looks like generosity. The life of a person who's repented will be generous. If you have two tunics, it was actually an undergarment that went under your robe, and someone else doesn't even have that, give them one. Do the same with your food. Why? Because if you've reoriented your life to God, then you understand God is insanely generous to you. He's giving you everything so that you would be willing to give anything. Your life is marked by generosity. The tax collectors show up as well. They're the outcast. Nobody likes them. That's who they are. They say, what about us? He doesn't say, get a new job. You probably need to do something a little bit, you know, uh, more Christian. Uh, He says, have integrity. Do your job. Don't collect any more than you're supposed to. The life of a repentant person is marked by integrity. Whatever job you have, whatever calling is in your life, do that with generosity and integrity. Then to the soldiers who are with him, what about us? What do we do? He says, have humility. Don't abuse your authority. Don't manipulate situations to try and get outcomes that you want. Don't force and keep on wanting more and more and more. Just be humble. Humility, generosity, integrity. These are the marks of a repentant person, which I find fascinating because when I think of repentance, my original thinking is there's a whole lot of tears and a whole lot of shame. That's what I think of, remorse. (laughs) Repent from your sins. And I think, man, I've got to be just like weeping, broken from all of that. And there is a time for that. When you realize the impact that your sin has on other people, you will break and you will weep. But repentance, a repentant life, isn't marked by how sad you are. It's marked by how how much good you do. A repentant life is marked by, by choosing good, choosing to be generous, choosing to have integrity, choosing humility. It's choosing good. It's the good life. When you reorient to God, he says, just, just live in goodness. And my apologies to Jim Collins. Good to great is, is really wonderful. But in a culture obsessed with greatness, maybe they need a church that has more goodness. 
Given the option between dying a great man and a good man, I really want to die a good man. I really want to do good by people. I want to be known for my integrity, my humility, my generosity among people. And if nobody else ever knows my name, but they know Jesus' name because of the way I lived, God be praised. That's the mark of a repentant life. If you want to know if you're living a life that is repenting and reorienting to God, your life's going to look more like that. Now, in all of that, John actually models this really well. All the people were in expectation, verse 15. They were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, right? There's so much good happening. Lives are changing. Maybe it's him. And John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather up the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Again, he draws this line to Jesus, that Jesus is the one who's coming, and he is a dividing line. There are those gathered to be saved, and then there are those who suffer judgment. That's what's happening. So when they seek to go, John, you're a really big deal, John hits pause and says, I will clarify who I am. So I want you to just look at the way uh, on the screen behind me that he separates this. John says, I baptize with water and I'm unfit to untie his shoes. This is a Hebrew rule that Hebrews wouldn't ask their own slaves to untie their sandals. That's considered below an act of slavery. And so John says, I'm not even fit to do the lowest things we wouldn't even allow a slave to do for, for Christ. You think I might be him? Nowhere close. He goes, I can baptize you with water. And he compares it to the kind of baptism that Jesus offers. So John goes, you think I might be the Christ? Here's what I can do. That's it. I can make you a, a wet human being. Accomplishes nothing. I, at best, I can have a symbol that I'm a part of, but I can't transform people. God alone does that. And I don't know your background in any other belief system, but in case you were wondering, that's all any human can do. I can baptize, I, today, I can baptize you in some Jinx tap water. Preheated right back there, it's wonderful. And all you will do if you are unrepentant is you will go home wet. That's it. At best, I can have a symbol for what God alone can do in transforming you. And so John exalts Jesus, and he says, you want to know who's coming? He says, one with greater influence, the mightier one. That's who's coming. So much mightier than I am. The one with the greater image. I'm not even unfit. I'm not even fit to untie his shoes. He is that high exalted. He is that much greater. His image is that much more holy than mine is. He is the one with the greater impact. I baptize you with water. When the mighty one comes and you turn to him, we know this is Jesus. When you turn to him, he baptizes you. The word baptize means to immerse or submerge. That's why we full on dunk people because that's just the word that's there. He will baptize you, immerse you, the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he saves you by the Spirit of God being immersed in the Spirit and he sanctifies you by a fire that burns away all the impurities of your life over time until God presents you to himself pure and holy from the work of his Spirit and the saving of his Son. That's the kind of baptism Jesus brings and Jesus alone can transform you that way. His work, his impact is greater and he is of far greater importance. John wasn't there to judge anybody. John couldn't judge anybody. 
And Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one that's going to show up with the decisive action to say, you are saved to me or depart from me. I never knew you. It's him alone. Given the opportunity for John to revel in his increased importance or image or influence or impact, he made himself less to make Christ more. A great model, by the way, that the only people we should be listening to are the ones that want to say Jesus's Influence, image, impact, and importance is greater than theirs. Anyone who's seeking to elevate those things, be weary of. And this is a point of accountability as your pastor. If you get some notion that I'm somehow interested in increasing my influence or my impact or my image, sit me down. Say, Cody, God God doesn't need great people. He needs good people. And good people are the ones that are humble Good people are the ones that are generous. They're the ones of integrity. We can do that for one another in this room. That's what a repentant person looks like. But not everybody will repent. Some people will get this good news brought to them and they will do everything they can to shut it out. That's who we see in the next passage. John continues to preach to all the people that were baptized. And he exhorts them. But Herod, verse 19, Herod the Tetrarch, who'd been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, he added this to all the evil things. He added that he locked up John in prison. Herod, the ruler, John calls him out because John's a man of integrity. He's not going to change his message no matter what it cost him. Why? Because of the great equalizer. Herod, if they need to repent, you need to repent. Why? Because God has better for you. Leave that. Leave your pursuit of your great image and your great influence and all the greatness you think you need and turn to God. And Herod said, I do not want anybody threatening my image, threatening my influence, threatening my importance. He's so offended that he locks him away to avoid him and avoid the message. When you are given the message of repentance, like we're getting today. The worst things you can do is try to assure yourself that it's not for you or to completely avoid it and to try and silence it. Some of you in the room, I fully believe right now, are trying one of those two things. Our human nature will fight against surrender. But there's an invitation from God to be made new. So if you are hearing this and you are trying to assure yourself, I don't need to be saved today. I don't need to be baptized today. You know what? I said a prayer. I got baptized at one time. I've been at church. What would people think? Whatever it is that's going through your head. If you're trying to assure yourself, no, 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 this discrepancy with God, uh, I just need to be a better person. Can't be for me. Maybe God wants you today. If you are trying to avoid it, distract yourself, plan lunch, what's going to happen next? Turn your mind to anything else besides listening to the fact that this can't wait. Repentance is needed. It is necessary. It is the plan, and it's for you, and God's inviting you. Don't silence that. Don't distract yourself. God is inviting you to a new life. Repent. Reorient your entire life towards him. Thabiti Anyabule says this. I read this um, last week. 
He says the true offense is not that your sin is being pointed out. The offense before God is that you don't acknowledge your sin. So if any part of you feels offended that we here would all agree that we're sinners, if any part of you feels offended at having your relationship with God called out, the offense is not with us. The offense is that God has been sinned against and you refuse to acknowledge it. Now what does God do with that offense of yours against him, with that sin of yours? He sends his word to point it out. In his mercy, he sent his son to die and pay the price for it so you could enjoy all the freedom of being his child. And before he judged you, he sent good news to you to say judgment will come, you will face it, but you can come to God now. You can be completely and totally forgiven now. In his great mercy, he let you know before judgment happened. That's what he did with your sin and it cost you nothing. He did this for free out of his great love for you to step out of death and into life. And you have everything to gain by following Christ. So as we close our time today, we're gonna close it. There's really kind of three different people to make decisions. One, it's our Christians in the room. If you're a believer in this room, uh, by that I mean you decisively reoriented your life to God. And then every time that you start to get away, that Holy Spirit and that fire in your life just says, no, go back, go back, go back. And you continually reorient over and over to line up with God and experience life. If that's you, you're a believer, you've been baptized to the celebration of the church, pray. That's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. Again, realign your life to God. And I want you to pray for the people in this room that God is pursuing right now. Now, maybe you've turned to God, but you are not a new person. Maybe you've turned to God and you never went all in. You never took that step. You never celebrated with that baptism. Today's your invitation. Come be baptized. Come and go into the water. And this is a new baptism, right? John's baptism was preparing for Jesus. Jesus' baptism, transformational, and only he can do it. The New Testament church's baptism is we are a symbol of what has happened to you. The old you is gone. The new you is here. We're going to celebrate that next service uh, with a family that, that God has brought to life in an incredible way. So if you need baptized today, I want you to take that step. You can fill out the connect card. You can bring it to those double doors. If you're like, Cody, today's the day. I need to let people know that I am new. I belong to God. I'm going to invite you forward right over here to this side of the stage. We can baptize you today. But my third friend in here, the third friend in here who I believe God is already showing you that there's a discrepancy, there's tension between you and God. And the only way to solve that is to completely turn and change your life and point it towards him. I invite you to be saved today by faith in Jesus Christ. So when we stand, I'm gonna invite you to just walk forward and say, today I'm leaving sin and I'm turning towards God. He has my life. So Christians pray. Those who, you need that fresh start. You need to follow in baptism. You need to announce your newness. Come be baptized. Those that want to follow Jesus, today's your day of salvation. Make your way forward. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus.
make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.